Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. I had the honor of being invited to Paragon City Games to film a vlog about their Heroes League Invitational Qualifier series. The players there love competitive magic. The store is super clean, open, friendly, and a great place to play magic. Their staff is super friendly and they have an amazing streaming setup to broadcast live feature matches. Talking about it doesn't do it justice, you'll have to go see the vlogs I made to know what I'm talking about. Just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made one each on standard, modern, and legacy. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best card sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern, legacy, and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Order your Guilds of Ravnica singles and sealed product now. You know you want that sweet Assassin's Trophy action. Great removal is, well, great. Thank you for supporting the show when you shop at cardkingdom.com KTM. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. Let's welcome MTG aficionado and marketing professional Andrew Magrini to the show. In this episode, Andrew and I are going to discuss the possible marketing direction that Wizards of the Coast is heading in. Andrew noticed an interesting press release from the Martin Agency, a big-time ad agency that handles big-time clients. The MTG community has been vocal at times about where Wizards is taking the game, and there has been a lot of speculation about the future of Magic. For the past four seasons, all of my guests have talked about Magic's future as a digital game. Andrew and I put on our ad agency and marketing tinfoil hats to break it down for you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrew Magrini. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with one of the good guys of the Magic Twitterverse, Andrew Magrini. Andrew, how's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And tell us, you are an advertising professional. Could you tell us why you're on the show today? Well, I'm here because some really interesting news came out earlier this week about Wizards of the Coast selecting an agency to help them create some new creative work for products that are coming out towards the end of the year. So lots of interesting little tinfoil hat moments for us to delve into. We're going to have ourselves some fun. And Andrew, you are professionally competent and experienced to talk to us about this, I guess, very interesting and not so mainstream topic about marketing and business and business strategy. But could you give us a little bit more of your background about kind of like who you are and what you do in the advertising industry? Sure, yeah. I've been working in Manhattan for the past six years at various advertising agencies doing brand strategy, creative, digital, social. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with some of the biggest global brands, um, some of which are like Rolex, Puma, some Johnson & Johnson, like Tylenol Motrin. So a lot of household and a lot of big name brands. So it gives me the opportunity to be able to, to look at this information and go beyond face value to be like, what does this really mean for us? And what does this mean for me as someone within the industry? 
And we're going to dive a lot into that and kind of what are your, some of your predictions on how significant this news is going to be? There's a few levels. It's going to be big from what we see in terms of the marketing push we see from Wizards of the Coast. But it's also going to have some interesting underpinning elements in terms of how they direct their strategy as an organization as it pertains to perhaps capturing new players, bringing in lapsed players, looking at you know, potential competitors like Hearthstone and understanding, you know, how as an organization they're going to position themselves to succeed moving forward. So when this little tidbit of knowledge came through, it really piqued your interest because you saw exactly kind of what was going on. You were like, hey, this is not often that Wizards of the Coast gets to announce an agency of record. A lot of the work that they've been doing nowadays has, to my understanding, primarily been through public relations. And that is very, the engagement there is very different than when working with a more traditional advertising agency like the Martin Agency. I mean, the last time you saw any work from Wizards in particular towards Magic was you had, oh, what were those commercials like in the 90s? You had TV commercials with like the big, the, the troll and... Right, they were in like a science lab. Right. It was like a big science lab, and, and, and a lot of people on social media always refer to these uh, Magic the Gathering commercials. And they were kind of campy. They were like, what do you do when you get this creature and that creature, and you're trying to test? like, And then the creature comes out, and then the accountant gets scared or something like that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was kind of like when Wizards of the Coast was doing stuff with like ESPN and trying to market themselves with like WWE. And then so they had like a very specific and very interesting kind of branding strategy because they would come out with these kooky commercials. And after that, it, it just kind of stopped. There just like was no more commercials of that style. Uh, obviously, that style was very, you know, eye-catching and kind of campy, but you just didn't really get any, uh, I guess, resource devoted to things like that. I think the only thing that I saw, I guess, the modern era of Magic was that there were a couple of higher, like, there were a couple of these really well-produced commercials with these two kids that were like, playing spells on like their uh, like bedroom floor and then when they would cast a spell they'd play a land that the scenery around them would change so there was a lot of like much better production value it was much more imaginative uh, there was something like that and then after that they kind of got away from that and they started making trailers for each of their sets and that was kind of like a magic commercial but uh, it was all animated and it wasn't ever distributed on I guess mainstream media it was always like through the internet or something like that right and there's there's an interesting reason for that you know doing some desk research we would call it basically a lot of smarter google searches looking into exactly what this means for for magic wizards and martin as an ad agency it's a it's a big step compared to the activities that they've been doing before so like reading into a different press release that went out in some different places some of the additional information that was included in here shows the measured media spend for Wizards last year. And that's provided by a big media think tank called Kantar Media. And when you look at the numbers in terms of what Wizards actually spends on advertising from media standpoint, and I think there's an important point of clarification here because I work on the creative side of advertising. So the agencies that I work for are the ones that actually create the work you see. And then on the other side of it, 
the media agencies are the ones that take that work and place it on TV, on the websites, in magazines and print. So when we look at the media numbers, typically media numbers are much, much bigger because you always hear about like Super Bowls, for instance, you know, 30 second spot costs $6 million. That's kind of like pretty much the run of the mill for, for advertising in that space nowadays. When looking at Wizards 2017 measured spend, they only spend about $540,000 total as an organization. So that's inclusive of Magic, D&D, and any of the other properties that they're doing. That is their full measured spend in the U.S., and that's not a lot. It's a big number, yes, but in relative terms, you know, especially when engaging in an organization like Martin, half a million doesn't even get you in the door in a lot of regards. So that's really interesting. What you're talking about, basically, Andrew, is looking at and understanding generally how much companies spend on their media advertising and media placement compared to their creative. It's basically, you know, you did a little extra research, you found that uh, Wizards approximately spend around $540,000 during that year on just media placement. And that amount of money compared to even getting your foot in the door with a company like the Martin Agency is like minuscule. So I guess from when I think about this news, and when I look at this news, it's basically Wizards has already announced MTG Arena. We already know that that was like their big digital next push. Then we hear very quickly after that, they're working on some kind of an MMO game with an agency that did you know a lot of MMO work. Uh, we've also seen other press releases about another MOBA game. So there's like some kind of like a mobile game where I've, I've seen graphics of uh, uh, Planeswalker characters attacking creeps and things like that swarms and like kind of like League of Legends or something like that. And we also know that there's like a couple of other things in the works that they haven't even announced completely. We also know that uh, the current CEO of uh, Wizards of the Coast, Chris Cox, came from Microsoft and had a very strong digital background, very strong gaming entertainment background. So all of those things combined, it would seem appropriate that their shift in focus is something big is kind of coming down the pipeline, especially because very recently, and I mean, we're kind of in 2018 right now, but very recently, they've taken their presence away from PAX. And so that was even very odd from the community to look at. It's just like, hmm, where are you shifting these resources, right? Like, uh, is it going to the Pro Tour? Is it not going to the Pro Tour recently? Just just today, I think they announced, or today or yesterday, they announced um, organized play changes. So it's kind of like, where are these resources going? And it seems to be a huge change going on right now in Watsi. Right. And one of the other interesting things is in reading between the lines on the press release that went out, you know, one of the, one of the funny things I, I refer to this is as, and it's no offense to Jane from accounting, when you release a press release that gets as much publicity as this did, you don't allow Jane from accounting to have quotes. The people who have quotes or are speaking to the press release have a significant stake in the game, whether they were involved in the pitch process, reviewing assets, or they're going to be the people that are overseeing the relationship. So of note, there were two people that were incorporated into this press release. You had a strategy executive from the Martin Agency, and then you had a digital marketing expert from Wizards of the Coast. 
And again, some cursory digging, you know, uh, what I noticed about the Watsy employee they included in this press release is the fact that he's only been at Watsy for approximately five months and he was poached from Blizzard off the Hearthstone team. So that really clearly tells you that, you know, from the client side, from Wizards of the Coast, the people that are involved are specifically focused on digital platform game. And then when you look at the individuals included from Martin, one of the hallmarks of their more recent work, I think everybody, it's funny when you, this is me just taking a quick step back, when you think about advertising and you think about like the big brands, um, Martin is most well known for the Geico Gecko. That was, that's been their big claim to the fame, claim to fame in like the last 15, 20 years. And one of the interesting things when I was digging on the website was they did a heavy amount of work for Shadows of Mordor for Warner Brothers Interactive. And that was some of the casework that the Martin individual that was interviewed for the press release, he has touted on, on his page. So it's interesting to see that on both sides of the equation, the, the digital aspect is what's really coming to the surface in this. I think it's really interesting what we're talking about because uh, you, obviously, Andrew, you are a marketing professional. I have a little bit of a marketing background and we're just kind of like reading the tea leaves at this point. <laughs> you know, we really are. We're really, I mean, we're we're looking at really, uh, you know, cryptic, not so cryptic, but sort of cryptic, like press releases because that's kind of what they are because they don't want to really, really reveal what's going on. Probably a lot of this stuff isn't even done yet. You know, whatever they're working on isn't done yet. Directions could change. And we also know that so much change has gone on in Wizards of the Coast and they've announced certain things and we're just like, we're just reading these tea leaves and we're just ex extrapolating two or three degrees removed from what is actually going on, if that. Like, we're really grasping at straws here. But I think it is very interesting just kind of like the vibe that we're getting. You know, they release a brand new card back that is obviously not going to be a card back image that's going to go on on paper products. It's going to primarily go on uh, digital products. They released a new logo. They released all these announcements for digital games, uh, organized play changes. You know, what's going to happen to all this money that's being put? We also have recently the silver showcase of like, why are we inviting all these players that are not Magic players, but are Hearthstone players? And there's, there's a lot of debate going on. I guess, I guess my question to you is, what does this say about what Wizards of the Coast is trying to do with Magic? Either as a game or as a media property or as a marketing strategy, you know, what really is going on? Because Wizards of the Coast doesn't have, in my opinion, doesn't have a problem making sets and designing cardboard. But a lot of people have said it's got a serious marketing problem. It's got a serious communication problem, looking at how it devotes its resources to things. Well, I mean, when you look at that budget number from before, you know, a half million dollars for an annual budget is not a lot of money nowadays. You know, that, that buys you very little, if any, airtime, because you have to think, that's we're just talking about media. That's not including the production dollars that need to go into actually making the creative that goes live. From my perspective, I think there's a few things at play here. I think initially, and this is prior to the Cox administration coming in and, and kind of shuffling things around, but you always heard, you know, from day one that Hearthstone was announced, employees of Wizards of the Coast and executives of Wizards of the Coast talking about how 
games like Hearthstone are not competitors because they viewed themselves as a paper-first product. They viewed themselves as a trading card game and hobby. And then as these other games started to take momentum and this whole space really started to build itself out, it really became apparent that they were, you know, especially since the only thing that they had, and, you know, let's be real, because Arena's still on beta, the only digital product that has any standing with them right now is is Magic Online. And we all know that it's not necessarily the the sleekest of games, and I'm just being very polite with that. But how Hasbro, parent company, has reorganized themselves. They don't, you know, in investor calls, Hasbro does not consider itself a toy company anymore. They consider themselves an entertainment company that sells product. And a lot of that has begun to manifest itself in these subsidiary organizations. So, you know, instituting Chris Cox, instituting, you know, the digital design team to come out with all of these products. This is them reacting very quickly to the realization that we were wrong. We've been kind of caught with our pants down and now we have to play catch up, even though we've been the industry leader for 25 years. So when it comes to how that manifests in this space, the significance of putting out a press release and making it public that we've selected an agency to help us figure out this vision notes on one hand that they're serious about this because it takes serious dollars to get in the door at some of these larger agencies. And it also means that they fully now acknowledge that this digital space is where the game needs to, if not shift significantly towards, put significant focus on. And because one of the challenges that I had in reading the public press release is it doesn't give you any indication on the scope of work or the focus of it. Because like my head immediately went to, you know, we have a Transformers game coming out. We have all of this other stuff. But then when you dig into who's actually doing the talking in the press release, and then you read some of these snippets that didn't make it into the broader press release, it paints a much more specific picture for our intents and purposes. So I'm going to read this little quip to you. And this for me was really like when I read it, it was like, aha, I get it. So here, the Martin Agency will be tasked with branding and strategic efforts as Wizards of the Coast seeks to expand its Magic the Gathering properties including developing a fully integrated campaign planned to launch sometime during Q3 of 2018. And for those counting, Q3 2018 is pretty much now. So we're going to be seeing this work that Martin's been tapped for actually going live. And my expectation, just based on the discussion we've been having here, is that this is going to be MTG Arena finally coming out of its expansive beta and coming in, you know, in looking at the work that Martin's done for Shadows of Mordor. But it was like, they basically brought in a director and made it look like a Peter Jackson trailer with live actors. So like it kind of sets 
a precedent for what it could be, which is really interesting. There's a lot to unpack in what you just talked about right there, because first of all, you're talking about the commitment that Wizards has made into an agency like the Martin Agency, and really what that takes and what that signals. And now we're looking kind of, again, deeper into another press release that talks about what specific strategies Wizards of the Coast is looking at. I also think it's very interesting that reading in between the lines of why they're doing what they are doing right now, you're saying basically the new administration under Chris Cox admits that they were wrong, right? You know, like we like one thing that the magic community really kind of gripes at about Wizards is that Wizards never really admits they're wrong. They're always just like, yeah, we could have done better, but they, they never really apologize or anything. It's always just like, oh, come on, like do better, right? But this time it's like <laughs> putting the money where <laughs> putting the dollars where the dollars are going. It's really much like, oops, yeah, we we are best in class in terms of a paper product and but it's 2018 and digital properties is really where it's at. In entertainment and, and gaming. I mean, we've even we've even been talking about the magic movie for like forever, right? And it blows my mind because earlier you mentioned Hasbro and we cannot forget that Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. I personally don't know at all about the relationship between Wizards and Hasbro, but a lot of people have been complaining about Wizards really can't do anything because Hasbro has, you know, its arms tied, right? But then on, on the flip side, you look at, you know, I went to ha I went to the first Hascon and looking at all of the Hasbro properties, I mean, My Little Pony has gotten lots of TV shows and movies and things. And Transformers has gotten a whole big movie franchise. And you've also got um, Hasbro making Star Wars toys. And you've got, you, there's such an expansive list of AAA properties that Hasbro has control into. And you're just like, why has Magic the Gathering not made this formal leap? Or or maybe we're just too early and we're, again, like all things, we're just complaining a little bit too much and we're still a little bit early. Because D&D recently has very much been kind of launched into the mainstream media with all of these A-list actors playing D&D. And then very recently, I forgot that uh, I forgot the name of the actor, but I think this is Joe. He was on Magic Mike's too. And he was, on, he was talking to Steve, Stephen Colbert about like them playing D&D and all this stuff. And it was just like a huge win for D&D. Another, another thing, I know we're kind of, kind of all over the place here, because you have to take all this evidence, right? There was another, I guess, another agency announcement through Wizards and another one of their PR agencies that uh, Tencent in Asia has acquired all of the distribution rights for Magic the Gathering Arena. And I'm like, Whoa, that's first of all, that's really huge because Tencent is the, you know, what doesn't Tencent, uh, Tencent owns a lot of games and they also own, um, I think League of Legends, right? They have, and it's funny, yeah, because I, I was in talks with working at Riot. They have about, I'm going to guess a number and then I'll have to check it, but I believe that they have a 40% stake in Riot Games. Yeah, I think it was 30 to 40%. Yeah. They have, yeah. So they have somewhere like 40% in Riot Games and they even have 10% ownership in Blizzard and all the subsidiaries. So King Gaming, all of them. So they are very keen on owning this part of the market. And there was actually another piece there that you had mentioned with regards to Hasbro. Hasbro, in shifting their strategic focus as an organization to an entertainment company, what that's doing is it ensures that significant changes in the market, for instance, Toys R Us, don't as adversely affect the organization as it did before. You see it right now that Mattel is having a really rough time because they leaned a lot 
on Toys R Us. And by virtue of diversifying themselves as an organization, Hasbro has actually safeguarded itself. And to your point about moving into more AAA spaces, you know, Hasbro opened up, I believe it's called AllSpark Studios. And the intent of that is to begin to make its own AAA films to connect the dots between G.I. Joe, Transformers, all these different spaces. And all of that is ratcheting up because when you look at, you know, when you look at the balance sheet for Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast, more and more nowadays, Magic specifically is being called out as one of the key brands for Hasbro. It's always uttered in the same breath. I believe it's fourth out of all their properties. And to list them, it's Transformers, My Little Pony, Nerf, and Magic. Those are the biggest properties. Right. And they always kind of put Magic sometimes in with Monopoly. But it's like, yeah, Magic is always right there in those earnings reports. Whenever the last earnings report is, they reported that Magic specifically has had its eighth straight year of growth, which is insanity considering where we're at nowadays. Because you think 20, 2010 to now is, you know, that's that's a tough time for growth for anybody. So especially someone that deals in hobbies and toy products. 2010 through 2018 is just monumental changes in, I guess, what we have experienced as players for modern magic. I mean, looking at the core sets going from some random core set thing to be like M10, there was a big rules change in M10, damage came off the stack, all that stuff, right? And then you've got all this modern set design, right? From M10, 11, 12, like Innistrad, like original Innistrad and the return to Ravnica, Theros and like Battle for Zendikar and all this stuff onward until kind of what we have today, it really was like a second renaissance for Magic the Gathering. And so to look at what Wizards of the Coast has been able to do from a creative standpoint to, yes, onboard a tremendous amount of players during that time. And it's interesting to see we're in 2018 and this marketing kind of catching up now. <laughs> I guess when things are good and sales are good, people don't really question things. You know, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But, uh, but now with the huge digital revolution in gaming that has happened also in the last eight years, it's been a complete shift in, I guess, how Wizards now is being forced to think about things and how Hasbro is being forced to think about these kinds of properties. I totally agree. And and to even put in per my perspective, like I was out of magic until about 2012. I left just after Invasion. I want to say just before Kamigawa Block dropped. That's when I kind of fell off the radar. And it wasn't until I was in college that I started seeing people playing again. And it started to get, it kickstarted me to start rifling through all cards and then I think I went to my first event, and I'm sure if I look at my my DCI card, I probably only have like five or six like sanctioned events under my belt. But the first one that I went to when I came back was pre-release Scars of Mirrodin. And that shows like, I feel like that was the time period that so many people just flooded back in. And it kind of, to your words, it reinvigorated the brand, I think, in a really major way. 
Okay, Andrew, we've talked a lot about the evidence that we see. We're kind of reading in between the lines again about what all of this probably could mean for Wizards of the Coast and Magic as a brand. So I will now warn all of the listening audience, we don't do this very often on the show, but at this moment, we're going to get on our tinfoil hats. Okay, so we're getting on our tinfoil hats. <laughs> we don't do this very often. So I'll go first. I'm thinking that given the way Magic the Gathering has been, uh, Wizards of the Coast has always operated phenomenally on a very small budget and a very small resource pool. And looking at how, uh, you know, Duels of the Planeswalkers was a huge hit, right? Like they put very few resources on it and it absolutely smashed the Xbox marketplace wide open and a lot of people play the game and love the game. And I think that that was a lot of the early kind of progenitor of really how Magic could be and how Magic can feel in terms of even like arena and of course hearthstone also drove a lot of that concepting of kind of like the pacing of what a digital product should look like but really looking at like how wizards of the coast and magic goes okay here's a new set it's beautifully designed you know we're not we're going to put our resources behind the creative the people in the game but we're not going to put resources behind you know just running a bunch of tv commercials and then also looking at you know i am not a pro i am not a platinum pro i've never been one and i probably won't be one but looking at also kind of like how the changes in organized play has really i guess i guess kind of played itself out no no pun intended kind of how it's how it's propagated and a lot of pros are like pay the pros and just how it affects and just really you can see where wizards is putting their money i really do believe that uh just like you said there was a little bit of a course correction that they realized that they were on a track for something and they decided to change that course correction into something else and to something new and they say okay now we do have to invest in digital and i think for the surprising pace that they did invest in digital it really took them only like what two years like two two three years at most to get this game kind of where it is and every single time magic the gathering arena gets a beta update there's like significant improvements on it um one thing that i do not know and maybe you can discuss this a little bit further is i'm not really sure how the martin agency is going to be able to bring this game more mainstream because you know shadows of mordor that franchise was a hit was a huge hit you know so i don't know how it's going to become that but they obviously have a plan and they obviously are going to be syncing it as well with possibly the false set release of uh you know guilds of ravnica which is our third return to ravnica which is always always really uh prominent so you know long story short my tinfoil hat take my hot take on this is that i agree with you andrew they have taken some kind of a uh step back into looking as to how they have not invested in certain things they realize they had to do some catch-up to it and if they are about to make a huge investment into it they've definitely made good partners the martin agency with their template on the Shadows of Mordor series, as well as partnering with Tencent on Arena. And I think Tencent always has had a very good, or at least a very strong track record of what they know to be really, really good in terms of gaming. And those partnerships and also getting someone like Chris Cox from, from Microsoft also speaks very loudly of what they've recognized as what is important. And that's also kind of maybe the reason why, and again, I could be wrong, but that's maybe also the reason why they've taken a huge step back from this magic movie. You know, Brian David Marshall, who has had a significant experience in comic books and and storytelling franchises and mainstream media was just like no they should not do a movie if anything they need to do some kind of a netflix series that would
would be a huge hit as well. But you know, I digress. I think that I think that there is a lot coming down. And 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 also, when I interviewed Mark Rosewater about like a year, year and a half ago, he said, "I can't tell you what's going to happen, but so far there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline, and you're going to say wow every single time you've got." You know, every single time we announce something, you're going to say wow and wow time and time and again. And when I did that interview with them, I was just like, fingers crossed, my man. I really hope so. And that was way, 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 way back. And as of that point, many sets have been released again. And I'm like, yeah, we have said wow a whole bunch of times. So that's that's my tinfoil hat take. Andrew, what do you think? In reading through and looking at a lot of this information and also being able to apply a lot, a lot of the thinking that I do at work, I think what this will really be interesting, this newfound relationship between the Martin Agency and Wizard of the Coast, is how this is going to define the look and feel and tonality of Wizards of the Coast moving forward. Because you have to think that the sole purpose of Arena right now is going to be, in addition to capturing and franchise players and getting them in on a new space, this is all about getting players that may have never played or seen Magic played before, getting them into the fold. So what I come to expect when I read that the purview of the work from the Martin Agency will be branding and strategic efforts, that means that a lot of the work is going to be based around the thinking of how do we speak to players about a game that is incredibly complicated and decades old at this point. So I get the feeling just having seen how creative agencies that may or may not have great language when it comes to working with games, it's going to be a little bit, I don't want to say disappointing, but I want to make sure that everybody listening and everybody that's going to be seeing this work, that the sole focus of the work that they're going to be producing to bring this stuff to life is going to be geared toward people that have almost zero idea of what magic's about. So when you look at how Hearthstone and... For instance, Hearthstone and Droga 5, when they produced work together, as well as some other agencies, it was really dumbed down. And a lot of people took offense because it wasn't geared towards the core audience. It was geared towards people that had never played before. So I think from a creative standpoint, we're going to see an interesting shift from super high fantasy to being more of the practical, like, how do you play in the day-to-day? And then being able to hopefully expand that into more of the lore of the game that we, as enfranchised players, have come to love and enjoy. The second part of this, and again, it's kind of long-winded, but the second part of this that I think is really interesting is this engagement, even though it states as an AOR relationship, the engagement is very specifically focused on WotC's digital activities. And what I'm interested to see is how or if the relationship between Martin and WotC expands to include more of the content as it pertains to set releases, you know, Commander 2019, will we get a TV spot for it? 
you know, I very much doubt it. I get the feeling that if there's any sort of engagement, it's going to be very small and it's going to be kind of loose because knowing or seeing how Wizards of the Coast is with us as players, they're going to be pretty tight-lipped with agency partners. So it's going to make creating work for new products on an ongoing basis very difficult because they're very tight-lipped about new work or new, you know, new sets, new things coming down the pipeline. To your point, you get the Mark Rosewater response where it's like, there's a lot of cool things coming down the line, but we can't say a word about them until right before. So understanding that the creative work is going to be very much focused towards capturing new players and then seeing how or if this relationship expands to include more of the scope of magic products are the two spaces I believe we're going to see very soon. And I'm very curious to see in how it evolves. Yeah. And one thing that I am always reminded of, Andrew, is like you touched on the enfranchised player, balancing the new player, the novice player, the casual player. What do we do to categorize and define what a magic player even is? Wizards of the Coast has always been leaning on, we've got 20 million plus players. I believe that. I really do. Uh, you know, whenever I'm at GP Vegas or at some random GP, I'm sitting in a taxi and there, you know, my Uber driver or Lyft driver is like, where are you going and what are you doing? And I'm just like, I'm going to a magic tournament. They're all like, yeah, 90% of people surprisingly are like, wait, I think I might have played that game before. And then I go, hey, do you remember swamps and elves and goblins? And they go, yes, I do. I did play that game. And so at some point or another, they have played that game. And so are they a magic player? Yes, they are. Are they a current magic player? Maybe no. But can we get them back into the community and back onto the thing? Yes, we can. And, uh, you know, what's so interesting is that, um, you know, whenever I'm on magic social media, you've got the most in franchised of magic social media on social media, Absolutely. right? You've got Magic Reddit, which is like the spikiest and most devoted fans of magic, same with on Twitter and whatever. And of course, there's a lot of debate around that. But still, it's like you've got the people that are the most knowledgeable about magic. What about all the players that are not as knowledgeable? And I think that when I really look at the goal of Wizards of the Coast, it's to bring those players back in into onboard players. And this is not so much of a marketing discussion. This is more of just a business in general, is that when you onboard someone from not doing something, not being a customer, to being a customer, and to, to be doing something, it takes a certain effort to do that. Everyone knows that, to acquire a new customer. It's very, very expensive. And then to keep them is also expensive, but it's a completely different strategy because people drop off, right? Like lots of people, oh, I got back into magic. Well, why did you drop off to begin with? Well, I was a kid and I went to college, or I was a kid I went to high school, or I got a girlfriend, or you know, all these different reasons of just like what they decided to do with their time instead of continuing to play magic, right? There's that churn rate of like losing players as well. So obviously, if you want the game to grow, your new player acquisition and retention has to be high than your churn rate. And just from the most mechanical and boring of business thoughts and concepts, this is something that is at the forefront of what Wizards of the Coast stresses out about and what Hasbro stresses out about constantly. Every single day, they stress out about this. And for us, what we stress out about is what's that money reprint going to be in M20 or right. Return to Dominaria or Commander 2021? You know, like that's just like the things that we're really stressed out about. And it's so interesting to, to balance these 
these things, right? He's just, he's just totally like when you said Commander 2021, I was like, oh, what if that's it sounds so space age. So what if that was actually the year they did like a space age set? Because it's 2021. <laughs> it just sounds super futuristic, even though it's literally like three years away. Sorry, that was just like so excited because I was like, oh, my God. Well, it's not out of the realm of possibility because in we have our Hascon uh, promos and those silver unset cards. You've got a nerf. You've got a nerf card. You've got an Autobots Transformers card. Yep. I mean, it's very possible to have these crossovers happen. Right. And well, what's interesting about what you just said, talking about business strategy and as someone who's done business and brand strategy, capturing new players and player retention is like going to be initiative number one for arena lapsed players, which are people, as you noted, people who played and left. It's going to take an entirely different communication strategy to, to speak to them in a way that rekindles that interest. Because to your point, they've been there before and for X, Y, and Z reasons they left. So it's going to be really interesting to see, like, will Wizards tailor ad content to capture Hearthstone players versus speaking to, you know, an older parent who played when they were younger and dropped off, and it's all about rekindling nostalgia. There's all these different ways that you can start to think about how the brand can engage and that's where i think the real we, we focus on creative with regards to like what martin is going to make but the intangibles are really the important part and i think to your point where watsi really suffers in, you know from my perspective is not having a clear linear strategy in capturing new players player retention and reducing attrition, so losing players to other games, and then rekindling interest in lapsed players. You know, most of the time, it's always so focused just on what's the next set, and whether that's attributed to resources or, you know, lack of spend or, you know, some mix or some other factors that, of course, we don't know about because, you know, we don't really get to see under the hood. There's a lot of reasons and a lot of value an agency like Martin comes in because it gives them the opportunity to lean on somebody whose specialty is this kind of work. And there's a lot of data that Wizards of the Coast has access to, basically customer insights. That is all very granular, and they have absolutely no reason to share it with any of us because they paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> and so really, when you think about answering these questions, is it easier to get new players that have never heard about Magic? Or is it easier to get that player that's played Magic back in the day and just print a set called Dominaria and bring them all back? Or to print a set like Scars of Mirrodin, bring all back all the um, uh, Mirrodin players, or to make another Ravnica set to bring back all the Ravnica or to bring make a new Shadows of Vernistrad or, or Battle for Zendikar to bring all these players back from those. I mean, we're going to get a return to Ixalan. We're going to get a return to Amonkhet. That's just kind of how it goes, right? We're also going to get a return to Mirage. I mean, you know, we're going to get a return to all these sets in, in addition to new sets, right? So it's also like asking ourselves, 
Wizards has that data that very clearly shows them, as long as they're mining that data properly and analyzing that data properly, they have all of these insights about where they're going to spend their time and energy and resources. And from even in this one discussion, given how fragmented, obviously our like audiences, there's like only three people left listening to us right now. <laughs> no one's listening anymore. Given how fragmented this conversation has been, there's such an infinite number of factors. And so the most effective way to run this business and to keep this whole thing going forward is to decide what we're going to do with the finite resources that we have and how we're going to use them and how we're going to best use them to move forward. You know, it goes back to the very beginning that I ask a lot of, uh, you know, my magic interviewers is like, what, what do you hope magic players have? Or what would you like to give them? Or, you know, what kind of a sentiment would you like magic players to have? A lot of my guess has said, I just hope that they have fun, that they don't think about winning or improving at the game or MTG finance or this or that or, or losing or someone cheating you or something. Just have fun, right? And at the end of the day, there is a huge stratosphere of different magic players and they're all looking to have fun in a different way. And Wizards of the Coast as a company, bless their hearts, they have to balance all of it. And they have to make everybody happy from the battle bond player to the puzzle quest player to the who the, the judge tower player to the limited player to the super grindy competitive spike to, you know, and all the Hall of Famers and all the pay the pros guys, you know, like to all of them. They've got to make them happy on every single place. And even to us, even the content creators and community members who like, I don't really play magic. I talk about magic more than I play magic these days. And it's like, how, what is magic going to do to keep me as a person, as a quote unquote magic player happy? It's just, it's just so much. So that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. It's just like, you know, if anything, I want wizards to make a ton of money. I want them to be happy. I want their metrics and their KPIs, their key performance indicators to be through the roof. I want all of their projects to be super successful. I want every single targeted demographic for every single one of their uh, different products to be happy. And I want there to be growth because I would love for Magic the Gathering to be like League of Legends, to be like Overwatch, to be like Hearthstone, to be like any major title, to be like Halo, to, you know, to be like every major entertainment title there is out there. And that is what's going to be the financial proof of concept that's going to allow us to have a A-list actor in the future to be playing Jace or Liliana in the in the in the magic movie, right? So <laughs> that's really what's gonna be driving that. So we'll have to be patient. We'll have to be patient with Wizards of the Coast. We have to be patient with ourselves. We also have to be, I think, generous, believe it or not. We as players have to be generous to give a little bit of the space on the sidelines to allow new players to come in and also to allow different aspects and different silos of the Magic community to also to be able to say like, hey, you, you digital casual player that values graphics more than cards or collections or finance or gameplay, that player or that group of people get to have a product. And then you also have the pros, the the ones that are like the professional F1 drivers of our of our industry that are driving forward little kids being wide-eyed and being like, oh my God, I want to make it to the Pro Tour one day. 
the, the pros also have to have a competitive uh, ability and also a financial ability to be able to continue doing what they're doing. And content creators have to get, you know, whatever we get, preview cards or whatever, giveaways, you know, whatever. Or, or we all got, well, one day we'll all get Hall of Fame ballots because we're awesome content creators, whatever that may be, whatever carrot that is there being dangled in front of us. We also have to, you know, have our incentive, but all of it has to feed back to, I guess, these crummy earnings reports and these quarterly numbers that all of the Wizards of the Coast employees, you know, they all really look to and they all look at their metrics. So that's that's kind of my take on it. I mean, yes, this interview has taken kind of a very businessy turn, <laughs> a very tinfoil hat businessy turn. But uh, I don't know, Andrew, what do you think? Any any final closing thoughts from your end? No, I think it's, I mean, you covered off on a lot of things. I think it's it's just going to be very interesting to see how this relationship affects the game that we're in love with, we're here talking about, and what it means for new players and old players alike down the line. Okay, everyone, and we're going to have more from Andrew coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Okay, Andrew, you have a very special Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us what it is? Oh, man, I'm super excited. So there's a little bit of a running joke on Magic Twitter that I was the inspiration for a certain cycle of Magic cards in Commander 2017. For the uninitiated, there was a set of five or curses that bared a planeswalker that's yet to be named in a series of unfortunate situations. And those five cards are Curse of Vitality, Curse of Verbosity, Curse of Disturbance, Curse of Opulence, and Curse of Bounty. And my good friend Bruce Richard at Mana Burned on Twitter one day actually, you know, basically turned to me and was like, it kind of looks like you. Did you get your own like set of invitational cards? And it just became like for the longest time this this huge running joke online. Yes, it is very funny. And I'm on Scryfall right now looking at this art and the character, the planeswalker that's in it is like wearing like this kind of like red jacket. And it's like, it's totally looks like you. It's got the facial hair and it's got like the facial structure. And it's like, there's all these really interesting <laughs> Um, there's all these really interesting situations that this character is being put into. Uh, and so I love it. And Andrew, you are quite the commander player. So this is like perfect. It's almost like the stars aligned and like, I don't know. I don't know if Magic R&D, this was like serendipity or what, but it's, uh, it's very appropriate. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, we are going to have a whole bunch of Curse of Vitality, Curse of Verbosity, Curse of Disturbance, Curse of Opulence, and Curse of Bounty that Andrew McGreeny is going to be signing for us for our Patreon supporters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andrew has signed copies of the Curse Cycle for Patreon supporters. You know, they really do look like him. It's a trip. You can get one by supporting the show at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Supplies are limited and I'm only giving them to current supporters and new ones that are signing up during October and November. Big thanks to all my Patreon supporters, past, present and future, who always get a first round buy at a big tournament. Again, that's patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thanks for your support. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. 
I've been talking about Paragon City Games for some time now, and recently I've been invited to film three vlogs at their game store for their Heroes League Invitational series. It's a local tournament where the winners compete at a year-end invitational. The player community there is wonderful, competitive, and fun. They have friendly staff that greet every single person that walks through the door. The store itself is huge, open, clean, bright, airy. There's beverages, snacks, clean restrooms, a fully loaded feature match area, and a high-tech streaming setup. The entire store is filled with huge open tables, enough to fit over 100 players. I played at an FM there once, and there were four different formats going at the same time. They also have a huge selection of board games, magic singles, supplies, tokens, handcrafted wooden deck boxes, and artisanal diehard metal dice. If you want to see the vlogs I made for Paragon City Games, just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made three vlogs, one for each of their standard, modern, and legacy events. Paragon City Games has a commitment to legacy, and they're streaming legacy daily at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. If you're ever in Draper, Utah, go check them out. And if you love legacy, watch their Twitch stream, again, at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. They're a wonderful group of people, and I'm so grateful to have them as friends. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. In my experiences ordering things online, I always hope everything goes well. Like, will I get my package quickly? Will my order be correct? With so many business interactions being digitized and becoming less personal, we care more about receiving great customer service. And you're probably wondering, how do I find an online store that embodies all the qualities that we're looking for these days? I decided to read what people were saying online about Card Kingdom. Lost Jedi 2003 says, Card Kingdom, hey, I just got my orders. Love, love the speed and efficiency from you guys. Thank you very much. Twitter user Gold Convoy got a robot soldier token hand-drawn and included in their order. Huge thank you to Card Kingdom for the custom token. I asked for a mechanical robot soldier token and it's beyond what I could have imagined. Kitoshi got a fully colored rainbow chameleon token drawn. Brock Bro says, Thank you, Card Kingdom. Ordered Friday, received Monday, fast shipping is no lie. Love the pull tab tape job on the case. 39 cards. Rich Baranek says, At CommandCast, you were right. Card Kingdom ships fast. Wasn't expecting to have this for another week or two. Also, no one mentioned the awesome care they take in packaging the cards. Even professional football player Cassius Marsh gets his hard-to-find foils from Card Kingdom. It seems the people have spoken. From fast shipping logistics to great customer service, card selection, and also the care their fulfillment takes when packaging each order, Card Kingdom goes above and beyond. I even purchase all of my Patreon supporters' gifts from Card Kingdom. So if you're looking to purchase Magic the Gathering singles and sealed products online, Card Kingdom has been trusted by Magic players around the world. You can also show support for Kitchen Table Magic when you use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Again, that's cardkingdom.com KTM. Okay, and we are back. Andrew, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Hit me. Okay, here we go. Andrew, rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Definitely think a lot of people would think I'm a blue player. My favorite color is actually green. I love being able to tap out and just play some big fat creatures and just smash face. I love it. I love it. There's a, there's a little bit of that uh, Timmy in all of us. <laughs> we all like to win, but we still like to win with big, big fun creatures. And Andrew, if you would pair green with another color, which would you pair it with? Definitely then I would pair it with blue. 
Because as a commander player, my favorite things are all about playing politically. And one of my favorite decks is my Edric Enchantress deck. And it's all about enchanting other people's creatures to essentially get the player to do my bidding. So it's a lot of fun to play against people who haven't played against it because they don't really know how to play against it. Oh, that sounds sweet. And also very dastardly. (laughs) Very evil as well. (laughs) Andrew, question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I think if there was one thing I'd love to see more of, it's community participation at events. And I think we're getting there. We're starting to see the live painting sessions at events. You know, artists are getting a little bit more of their share. What was it? Shadows over in Estrad? We had an escape the room. Like, There's so many things that are flavorful and thematic that we can incorporate at an event that allows it to be more than just the tournament itself. And that's something I really want to see instituted as a change, not just from organized play, but from the whole brand in and of itself moving forward. Okay, yeah, I like that. Not so much of a focus necessarily on the set or on competitive play or, you know, this entire episode we've been talking about sales and marketing, but also it's just something a little bit more thematic. I, I, I like a holistic approach related to things. Right. Okay, Andrew, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? Definitely think this year's Commander product is something I'd wanted to get in the hands of as many people as possible. Because while we're super critical of the fact that it wasn't chock full of any reprints of value, I totally think that they were some of the best design products for new players because it teaches you a wide variety of things and gives us an opportunity to upgrade them in interesting ways. I think that's a great answer. A lot of times the new player and the casual player community are often overlooked when we talk about magic players. When we you know think about magic, we're like, oh, always the most enfranchised or entrenched magic players. But yeah, giving magic players that are newer a better product is very healthy, I think, for the community as a whole. So yeah, absolutely. Next question number four, Andrew, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I think the one thing I really want to see from Wizards moving forward, and this kind of harkens back to our conversation before, but really start to focus on how to bring this game to life from a media sense. And I mean that from not necessarily going just to like AAA movies, but how would a Netflix series look? What does, you know, a YouTube series or partnerships look like? Bringing characters that we know and love to life in new and interesting ways that isn't just text story on the mothership. I think that's something I really want and I really desperately need to see come to life from Wizards. And last, Andrew, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Yeah, I'd say check me out on Twitter at A underscore McGreeny. You know, I'm always there talking about magic. I'm talking about, you know, cute, adorable animals, you know, magic art, all sorts of fun stuff. Be sure to come out and find me at events like Gen Con, you know, in November at Pack Some Plugs. And then throughout the country, I'm always tweeting out about the various GPs and Star City events. I typically try to get to like eight to 10 a year. So 
you know, I'm pretty frequent when it comes to flying out and just going to hang out with people. It's super fun. Andrew, I just really wanted to thank you for being a part of this community and also being on the show today. I don't often have guests that get to dive very deep into the tinfoil hattiness of business when we talk about magic. People love Magic the Gathering, and it's not often the funnest to peek under the hood or to know how the sausage is made, you know, like, especially when we're talking to R&D, that's like the fun part of learning about magic. But like all this other business stuff, it gets really kind of scary at times, right? Because I feel like our love for this hobby, we don't want to talk it into oblivion. We don't want to say something that's going to harm it. But uh, these uh, things, I think in our conversation today, and where I really appreciated your insight, paints really a picture that things are in a good direction. That, um, you know, we, we can't all be like, oh, everything is buttercups and rainbows and sugar and spice. Like everything is always nice. No, there are challenges. Like the world is a difficult place and Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast, they have to compete and they have to fight in this marketplace for our attention and for our time and for our money. And I really appreciate that you've given really interesting and valuable industry insight about what it really means and really what do you what we think wizards is doing with its time and energy and money and i think that there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming along we're all kind of holding our breaths uh so thank you very much for being a part of the community being a pillar of the community and thank you so much for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us today thank you you know it's awesome to get to come on a show and be able on one hand to talk about, you know, an industry that I work in every single day. So it's, you know, it's not something that ever is getting old for me, but then being able to turn and apply it to something I'm super passionate about, you know, after hours, it's really validating. And and to your point, I think it's really great because we get to see that this action alone denotes how serious Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, Magic the Gathering, how seriously they're taking their future in bringing in an external partner to help them understand their business needs, to devise a strategy to address those needs, and then to create new and exciting work that'll hopefully bring new players in, old players back in, and to keep us loving the game for years to come. This has been a fascinating topic for some time now, and since this interview was recorded a little bit ago, it's interesting to see some of our predictions solidify as Wizards rolls out its strategy. If you'd like to ask Andrew some questions or continue the combo on Twitter, he's at A underscore Magrini. That's A underscore M-A-G-R-I-N-I. You can follow Kitchen Table Magic on Twitter at KTM Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and I'm on Twitter at Samo Tango. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Spotify, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. And remember, if you want to get some signed cards from our guests, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. I want to take a moment to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Neil, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan S, Nick, Eternal Dirtle, Matthias, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Carl, David, Matthew, and Chris. I really appreciate all of the supporters of the show, past, present, and future. Your kind words on social media, likes, follows, and shares, and reviews on Apple Podcasts help new listeners find the show. And thanks to everyone that's been telling a friend about Kitchen Table Magic as well. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... 
the evolution of me as a moderator started at back in those first couple days with IRC, you could set your, yourself to auto rejoin a chat. There was no timeouts really. There was just, you get kicked from the channel. So we would do like kicking people as like a joke. There was a bunch of buddies we knew we could kick and they auto rejoined, it'd be fine. So we just like automatically joke and kick them. Over the time when we switched to Twitch, you can't really do that. And we kind of had to grow up. Going from those like really proto days of just like, we can just screw around and do whatever to, oh, hey, we're actually raising hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We need to actually kind of like get our stuff together and get in line. Really kind of helped me form to, okay, I need to be malleable and know what channel needs this. Like for Desert Bus, I have to say bus. We can't use any kind of swears. It's always bust this, bust that, or that was busing crazy. Whereas on other channels, you could use F-bombs and other things like that. It's just a really a case of all those kind of understanding. It's hard to put because each channel demands something different of their moderators. Depending on the channel, some, you know, will be more trolly and more jokey and more, you know, let some, you know, BS slide kind of thing. Other channels are like, we have a very family friendly atmosphere. We demand things X, Y, and Z will go. A, B, and C cannot fly. With the advent of stuff like Slack and Discord, that has been a massive boon to my moderator communities. What makes a good moderator is somebody who's very objective, who is able to realize that they are actually getting emotionally involved in what's going on at that point in time and realizing they need to step away or let somebody else handle it. It's the super moderator himself. My friend Ian Dixon joins us to talk about the intricacies of stream chat moderation. As gaming communities rush to broadcast through live streams, the chat becomes an important space that makes or breaks certain followings. Ian tells us what it takes to manage the complicated world of community moderation and his journey to becoming one of the most important moderators in our magic community. All on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.